Can you tell John and Amy how impressed we are with their willingness to be God's person in this place? Just, uh, am I not on? Should be on. Right. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. I, I didn't hear much of a report on that, retort on that, but I want you to make a change from the praise that we have in the morning on Sundays which I think is really important for you because I hear you singing. I know you enjoy this. It's loud when the worship team gets finished and you are singing the last chorus and we get excited about that, but it should carry over into our everyday life. Did you ever think about that? It should really carry over into our everyday life so that tomorrow morning when we wake up, we say, I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Can you say that? Yeah, let's try it, okay? I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Ready? I am a child. Now I want you to emphasize, yes, I am. So it, kind of, it kind of makes it your own then. It's kind of the thing that you, you invest in your life and you say, look, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Let's do that again. Ready? I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Yeah, you did good. Yeah, and claim it. That's a, that's a, that's a good point. The Holy Spirit gives us guidance and direction in our life. He empowers us to be the kind of person God wants us to be. He shows us in his word what it is that we, are, we ought to do. It's up to us to be able to say, I am a child of God. Yes, I am. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to do what he asked me to do. I'm going to be the person that he wants me to be. And I think we ought to start out every day. I know that on the days when I fail to do that, I step in it. I do. Maybe you do too. I, I, I get a kick out of my household. There, there are lots of things as a husband I should do, as a father I should do. And, and, and uh, I find myself at a place of uh, being kind of dense. Any of you dense? I think we have to... Okay, some were pointing to the person next to them. I, I understand that. So... My wife is really smart, and she puts in our house little signs that she, she thinks I should read, which give me kind of a jump on the day, right? And so in the bathroom, in the bathroom, behind the toilet, is, is a, a, a kind of a, um, you know, an old great tray or something that someone has, has scribbled some words, and I'm going to share those words with you. Here they are. <laughs> I should always be praying, and I should always wash my hands. Amen. Yeah. Because germs and Jesus are everywhere. <laughs> I love that. It, 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 it's important for me. I, I need to remember that Jesus is everywhere. I, I need to remember that germs are everywhere. And not necessarily the little wiggly-buggly kind of things. The things that I do that are not conducive to my saying, I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Let's remember to reassess our lives on a regular basis and come to that place of understanding he's not just a God to be praised. He's a God to follow. We've got to say that over and over again because we soon forget. We're kind of like that. 
It was the year 2001. Some of us can remember those, those years. And there was a house in Chicago. It was kind of a clapboard little home, not, not big at all. And, and if you were to drive by, you'd say, why don't they take care of that yard? You have some of those in your neighborhood. And it never seemed to change from day to day. The weeds just got bigger. The, the, the stuff that was collecting in it was just, I don't want to touch that really. And because taxes weren't paid for four years in a row, the house was up for sale and it was purchased. The people that purchased that home went to clean it up and they, they had a hard time unlocking the door. They got a locksmith, he, he worked it out. They were able to get in and when they got in, it was horrifying. Because as they walked into that home and into the little, the little room with the television and rocking chair was Adolf Stick. You see, apparently he had died of natural causes. And he was sitting alone in his reading chair with a newspaper. And the newspaper was printed a date, 1997. So if, if you've done the calculations, they find him in 61, he dies in 97, he's four years dead. And I'm thinking to myself, apparently no one noticed. No one, no one was concerned about him. Not his family, not his neighbors, not his friends, not his relatives. And I want to ask you the question, how does someone die and no one notice? We notice if you've gone. I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not getting God to work a little faster. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying to be here and to be a part of our family, you are noticed. Every one of you is worthwhile. Every one of you is valued. Everyone is of consequence. You are God's child. Yes, you are. Every one of you is determined to try to follow Christ in some way and learn of him. And like I heard one day, a person said to us as we were sitting in a room, 35 of us, and he was presenting, he said, uh, let, let me suggest to you something. Maybe we should stop acquiring knowledge from the scriptures and to learn, learn to live what we know already. And, and on the one hand, I kind of cringed when he said, stop learning the knowledge of the scriptures because we all need to be aggressive in our relationship with God through the scriptures. But isn't there a time when we stop acquiring knowledge, being an expert in the scriptures? And we become the people God wants us to be. And we do what God's scripture asks us. Even in those things that we, at least you and I, know about. Isn't there a, isn't there a time when we say, yes, okay, I, I heard that, Lord. And I'll do that, Lord. And I'll be that, Lord. I, I'm going to do what the scriptures ask me to do that I know about. Have, have you said that yourself? I don't want to just hear God is love. Well, so what is the greatest 
of all the commandments, 1,630-some, which one is the greatest? Can you, can you help me? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and the second is likened unto it, love your neighbor. Oh, stop there. It really got cluttered when we said love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's one of the hard ones. Because I don't know about you, but my neighbor irritates me. <laughs> Some of you irritate me. Some of you are weird. Say that. I'm, I'm weird. You are strange, yes? You are strange. I love me anyway. Yeah, thank you very, very much. I'm weird. And I'm, I'm, I'm difficult to get along with sometimes. And I say the wrong things sometimes. And I go the wrong places sometimes. And I do the wrong things sometimes. Does anybody agree with me? Am I alone in this? See, I don't think I am. I think the wonder of it all is that within the family of God, the strange people gather together and give him praise and follow him, and we love each other in spite of the faults, in spite of the issues, in spite of the circumstances. I determined to love you. I don't think any one of us could die and someone not notice. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, will you? It's a great passage of Scripture. Anybody know what it's titled? Oh, you do. Some of you know that. The love chapter. And, and, I, and that's one of those passages of Scripture I'm not, take, I'm not sure that we take seriously, but I want to read it to you. In 4 through 7, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, this is what it says. Now listen to it, because one of the statements that I'm going to make is going to grab you by the throat and not let go. It has a way of doing that. Love is patient. Oops, I don't have to read any further. <laughs> Love is kind. Love is not jealous, and it's not boastful, and it's not proud. How many of you have been caught up already? It's not rude. It's not self-seeking, or it does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. I heard the air go out of the room in that one. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, always is hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. And by now, you all have been caught. Yes? Isn't it enough that we start acting on what we know in God's Word? Isn't it enough that we take 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, and we start practicing what God calls is love? How He loves us, how He first loved us, that we might love others? Significant. If I were to ask you to raise your hands, about 68% of this group of people right here would say, I'm not loved. I'm not shown value. 
I, I don't believe I'm, I'm made in wonder. There's no awe in my life as it relates to someone else as I understand how much they love me. That's a lot of people. And I, th I think it's time when the pastor stands up in front of you all and says, that's got to stop. That's got to stop. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, that's got to stop? I hope you mean that. I, I hope that this morning is an occasion for you to say, no one is going to die and not be known. No one is not going to see value and, and understand that they're cared for. No one in this congregation is going out those doors in the back feeling that somehow they weren't accepted or weren't loved or weren't cared for or weren't ministered to or weren't of value. Or, or... Can you raise your hand and promise with me that that won't happen? Now, some of you can't. I understand that. But I'm determined. I, I want you to know how valuable you are. You are so valuable. Can I? Okay. That the person next door to you died for you. Is that true? No, it's not true. I want you to know this morning that you are so valuable that Christ died for you. He gave his life for you. He lives on for you. The scripture is so interesting. He sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty and intercedes for you. Put your name in there. Start believing it. Start acting like it. There's nothing in your life that God is not, through the Holy Spirit, interceding on your behalf for. Hello. But you say... I don't feel it. It takes about 28 times of repeating something before you own it. <laughs> I am loved by God. Say it. 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 All together. I am loved by God. I'm a child of God and I know it. Yes, I am. It's the most wonderful thing in the world to live a life assured that you're loved by God and that he's committed his son on your behalf to die on the cross that you might have a relationship with him. If you start studying the scriptures, and I know that you all are, so I'm just asking you to join with me. As you look at the scriptures, you believe from the Old Testament through the New Testament, it's really nothing but about relationships. It's about, it's about me and my relationship with God and me and my relationship with you. And my spirituality is measured by relationship. Do you have a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with others? Do you love them and care for them as he's called you to? That's how you measure your spirituality. He's calling you to a relationship with everybody. Okay, so let me ask you this question. If I were to ask you to stand, and I were to ask you to move over here, half of you, and half of you move over there, how well would you know each other? 
Would you feel that we're all friends and that I know you by name and, and, and I see in you God growing and developing a kind of relationships that he wants you to... Can you see that happening? Okay, some yes and some, some not so yes. In, in our church, we're not too big to not know people and value them. We're not. Now, 600, it's hard to have one, one relationship. It's, it's, it's tough. But, but that's where I learned a long time ago, Jill and I got involved, whether we liked it or not, when I became a pastor in small groups. And there were times when I'd walk out the door because one of the babies had just puked and the dog had thrown up and the car wouldn't start. When, when we were going to small... Ever had that happen, trying to get to somewhere where you've committed to God that you would go? And we'd say, ah, I don't know whether we can go tonight. And when we, Jill or I, one of us would at the moment look at the other and say, no, we're going. We're dependent. They're depending on us to get there. So we'd go and afterwards we, on the way home, say... Wasn't that terrific? God met us in the place, and we saw him work, and we saw him do miraculous things, and we were excited about what we saw, and we saw God intervene on, on, in the life of that, that person that was needing him to intervene. It was the most wonderful thing. You see, a Christ follower breaks bread. I, I wanted to share with you, Acts is a great, uh, great book, second chapter of Acts. 42nd verse and following. I want you to listen to this real clearly. A lot, of, a lot in it that we don't normally think. We read it pretty quickly. So, so I'm going to read it to you with some emphasis. All the believers, all, all of the believers devoted themselves. Devoted themselves. Okay, sir, is there something in the word devoted you don't understand? Can I tell you that full-time church attendance in the world today is 2.2 Sundays a month? To me, that's not full-time. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Prayers were answered. Things were done to include the lives of people. And we saw, I'm ad-libbing, God was active in the lives of these people, and they saw miraculous signs and wonders. And all believers met them together in one place and shared everything they had. Can you say that out loud with me? Shared everything they had. The fact of the matter, in the size of an audience that we have today, every need that's found in this group of people right here can be handled by the people that are here in a short period of time, God's given us the resources to be able to help everyone here. I, this last week, we prayed by the, for a guy by the name of Francis. Francis came from Nairobi, Kenya. Francis came alone. Came to work at a church in Fremont. I love him. He's a great guy. He's got a great smile. He, when he smiles, his whole room will light up. He just happened to mention to one person, one person, that he needed a car because he lived five miles away and it was hard for him to walk to church every day. 
So the announcement was made at the congregation that next week. And before the church service was over, he had a car. Every need we have can be met by the people in this room because God has provided. And within the context of small group, we learn what the needs of people are and begin to minister to them. They sold their property and possessions and they shared their money with those in need and they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy there's another word, hesitate to say it, joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 3,000 that week. 3,000 that week. Is that right? One, two, three. Three thousand that week were added because they met in homes and they met the needs of the people and they praised God and they shared meals and they lived life. They broke bread. That, that's, that's the context. They broke bread. They came together and broke bread. Gilbert asked us several weeks ago if we had a room at the table for someone, a poor, pe- poor person. I think you're still struggling with that one. But the reality is, the New Testament is clear. We should be gathering together on a regular basis and praying for one another and encouraging one another and helping to supply the needs that we have. The meals in the New Testament were kind of interesting. Rather than the kind of hit and miss things that we have as far as meals are concerned, how many of you all have, have uh, dinner together in, in your families? Raise your hands if you have dinner together in your family. Some of you are just two, and I take that, it's all right. Well, many of us have never even had or do not have meals together as a family. In, in the life of the early church, the meal was much more like Thanksgiving. I want to go there. 46 million turkeys were consumed last year. Can you imagine? 88% of Americans ate turkey for Thanksgiving. 736 million pounds of turkey was eaten. Burp. (laughs) Yes? They came and we stayed late. And we spent the time that whole day living together and enjoying each other. In fact, one of the words, one of the phrases that were used in in the Thanksgiving meal was, well, tell me about yourself. I haven't seen you in such a long time. Fill me in. Yes? And if we ate together regularly in small group, we would go and we'd say, oh, I couldn't hardly wait to get back together because it was so tremendous being with you last week. Seeing you last week, talking to you last week, sharing with you last week, seeing the wonders of God in you last week. It's costly. The turkeys were $21.71. 
and the average meal was $48.90. But that's not what I'm talking about. It costs us to be a part of a group of people that care about each other and live life together. Extreme commitment. They devoted themselves. They made it a practice to be there. They wouldn't miss it. Every day, it says, they gathered together in the temple courts and at home. I don't know how we do that. But I do know meeting on a regular basis has impact in the life of believers. And we need to to commit ourselves, that extreme commitment, promising to meet each other and to enjoy each other, to be devoted to each other. Well, they probably called Los Angeles in clean comedy. And uh, they invited a comedian to come. And uh, they invited people to come to their home and listen to the comedian. How many of you believe that that's what happened? That's right. It didn't happen. But they loved the teaching of the apostles, and they loved breaking bread together, and they loved talking about how they were doing life together, and they prayed. Doesn't sound terribly exciting except when you read the fact that God worked miracles through the lives of the apostles in front of them, and they just had to be excited. They were excited. There's no doubt about it. They were excited about coming together. They were loving telling their stories. They loved meeting new people. They loved bringing them into their homes. They loved getting together because it was so meaningful and so important to them. As Jill and I were a part of our life group's We talked about things that we never dreamed we'd talk about. We talked about things that we didn't know how to put words to. We we talked about things with people that were not in our bloodline. We talked very real street stuff. We talked about the stuff we faced every day. We talked about watering the almonds and not having the water go through to the end of the row and how terrible it was when we walked up and we found holes where we knew there were squirrels or whatever was making them, and the water was going down it. Would you pray for me because some of the trees are not getting the water? We talked about the lady who left her home with her four children, and at the, at the stop sign, she failed to realize that the car ahead of her had stopped faster than she could stop. And she happened to see that car, and she started to step on her brakes. And when she looked over her shoulder, she found that her son had unlatched the safety belt. And she went, (gasps) Look, your safety belt! We talked about that. And we heard that the child was fine, and she was fine, and the car was totaled, and we want praise the Lord. Real street-level stuff. More tears were shed in that group than any place. And we laughed together like we didn't laugh anywhere else. Because we realized that in doing life together, it was exciting. We celebrated. We didn't need an excuse. We celebrated regularly. We always had some fancy dessert that would intrigue people to come, although they didn't need it. 
And we had a great time in sharing. We prayed daily for the needs of the group. We broke together. It broke bread together. It wasn't accidental. It was intentional. It was biblical community. It was biblical community. While we're talking about getting together and saying how better, how much better it is for you to be a part of a small group, I think instead most of us are talking about we don't even know our neighbors. I mean, after we, we talk about how strange we were, sometimes it's hard about thinking of getting it together. And there are all kinds of things that we do that keep us from getting together in small group. I, I'm amazed. I blame it on the air conditioner. I also blame it on the garage door opener. And I, I, I blame it on the fence and the gated community. And, and I blame it on the answering machine. Beep. And I blame it on caller ID and the ATM machine. Each one of those things making life less personal less relational, giving us the opportunity to hide when we need to hide. How many hide? Raise your hand if you hide. Yeah. You go in the garage, you hit the garage door button, down it goes, you're in the cave, you go inside, you don't go outside. Pretty well stay there. My mother and dad, when we lived on Sesame Street in Fillmore, California, didn't have a garage, didn't have a fence, didn't have a garage door opener, didn't even have an answering device. In the middle of the day, when Dad got home about 3.30 or 4, he was a milkman, they sat outside and rocked in their rocking chairs. And they pushed the kids in the wooden swing that was on the porch. And we said hi to those that were going by. And some would stop and talk. And some would drive on and say, we'll see you tomorrow. We were doing life together. We don't do that today very much, do we? This is why he created you, because he loves you, and he needed someone to love. I, I'm saying that with somewhat of a real, God doesn't need anything, but there, from our perspective, we have to understand that he created us to have a relationship with, to have fellowship with. If we treat him like the small group and never show up, you draw, you draw the lines there. You, you, I don't have to fill in the blanks. And he's looking for an opportunity for him to express to, do, to us many wonders and miraculous signs that, that make us do this. <gasps> Did you see what God was doing? <gasps> View the air going out of the room? <gasps> when was the last time you had a Yahoo moment with when you saw God's miraculous work? When was the last time? Jill and I, about four years ago, went to Africa. I've shared that with you once before. And we spent some time with the poor kids. And at that time, the numbers in the, the school that we were at were, were about 400. And they were sitting 400 kids in about half the size of one of these sections. Picture that. 
400 grammar school kids sitting so tight they had to hold their shoulders together, cross their arms because there just wasn't room unless they did that. They got along, which is a miraculous thing in itself. They didn't step on each other. They didn't poke each other. They didn't jab each other in the eyes. They weren't reading their phones. Yesterday, I met with some folks, one of which was the leader who, who developed that group of kids 17 years ago. David, who was here last week, said to us, you know, no longer 400, no longer five or 600, 700 kids. 700 kids, and I'm thinking, oh, look what God's done. But he says, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We started four years ago ministering to the lives of families in these communities, in, in these slums. He says, there's over 7,000 of them now that we serve. And then I went, <gasps> because I realized it could not happen without God doing it. I saw, I saw what God was able to do with miraculous signs in loving people. It actually, like the word awe suggests, alarm, fright, fear, terror, sometimes it's that way with awe. I was awestruck by how much God loves us and cares for us. I want to remind you something. You are God's child. Yes, you are. If you can't say that on a regular basis, you've missed it. You, you, missed, you missed the radical nature of what God wants to do in every life. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. People in our world are not looking for right doctrine. It's important to us, but it's not important to them. They're not looking for fancy buildings. We love being here and we think this is just grand, but that's not what they're looking for. They're not looking for beautiful stained glass or neat technology. They don't give a rip about that. When we live according to God's design, they need what the New Testament suggested the people there who were not following Christ needed when they said, I don't know who they are. My, I tell you how much they love each other. How are we doing? They can pick it up right away. They know whether we love each other or not. You don't have to say it. I'd suggest we make a recommitment to God's call on our life. And we love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. And the second is like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Make that promise with someone else 
and allow that person to hold you accountable to live that way. And God will be praised and he'll add to our number daily those who are being saved. Yes? Father, I, I want to thank you this morning. I want to thank you for the community that you have formed in us. I want to thank you for the big picture. I thank you for the joy it brings to our heart when we see everybody come in, the warmth that it brings to our life when we sing praises together, how tickled we are when we laugh together, and how sad we are when we cry together. I want to thank you for all the miraculous signs and wonders that you do within the context of South Valley Community Church. But I ask you, Lord, today to do something. We're missing a part of what it means to know you and follow you when we're not meeting together in, in a group the size that we can know and love, be concerned for, give our life. Kick us in the butt. Put reminders everywhere that we should be making a commitment to that. And pray, us, pray, pray with us as a church as we begin putting together the opportunities for small group for everyone. And pray with us as individuals as we begin to think in our minds, we can't do without this. We will set our schedule so that it includes meeting together in homes, sharing the good news, and affirming and loving each other. And Lord, we can't finish without saying how much we love you, how much you care for us, expressed in your son Christ, died for us, gave his life for us, intercedes for us, enjoys life with us. We give you praise in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.